Welcome back to another episode of Talking Prison with Tiff. Okay, now I know I say every episode that this episode is special, but this episode is super special. Okay, and I'm gonna tell you why. So I don't know if you guys know or not, but there is a huge prison community um, here on YouTube. And that's actually how I kind of got started, just by indulging in those different prison stories from, you know, different uh, content creators. And one of the very first content creators that was on YouTube talking about his prison experience um, is my special guest today. Um, I'm going to let him introduce himself. Uh, But when I was following him, I just want to say when I started following him, He had about 16,000 followers or subscribers, should I say, on YouTube. And now he is like a couple hundred shy from 50,000. So I just want to say congratulations to Chill. Um, And we we appreciate what you're doing here on YouTube. You are inspiring a lot of people. So without further ado, let me go ahead and bring on my special guest. Welcome 16 to Life. Hey, thank you, Tiffany, for having me on your show. I uh, deeply appreciate it. Yes, I'm so excited. So let's just jump right into it. Uh, like I did kind of already tell the people, I found you myself here on YouTube. Um, so before we even get into it, can you tell us a little bit about how you got your start here on YouTube? Um, well, like I always say, my, my start on YouTube actually was just just it was just pretty much luck, you know, Um um, I, end, I had served 24 years in prison and um, I like to rap and stuff. And so I was trying to figure out a way to, um, you know, get my music heard and stuff. And so I, I had created a page to put my music on. But um, shortly after doing so, the producer who I was going to, he got he got COVID. And so um, I, I remember at that time I'm, I may have had somewhere, I think, like 160, 65 subscribers, somewhere up in there. And and uh I was thinking, well, dang, what can I do? You know, I didn't want my subscribers to disappear and stop checking for my page. So I said, well, what can I, you know, what can I do to keep people interested or keep some people around until the producer got, he got well. So like I said, I had served 24 years in prison. And I, at that point in time, I'd probably only been out about a year. And, uh, you know, people always seemed to be intrigued when I told them I had served that amount of time. They wanted to know, you know, some of the stuff that happened in there. So uh, I said, well, you know what, let me just tell a story or two. And, um, I told a story, you know, and and maybe I might get maybe 50 views, 100 views, you know, I, and I just stayed at it. And, you know, two or three weeks, I tell a story and maybe at this time I get three or four hundred views. And then one day I, I told a story and I came back maybe an hour later to check. And it was already at six thousand that I had got six thousand views. So I'm I'm thinking that that was the story that I had told last time. Right. <laughs> but then I looked and I'm like, no, this is this is the story that I told today. Then, I, you know, every time I come back, I'd have a few more thousand views and I was just so excited and stuff and uh you know it just, it just went on from there so it was basically just you know it was um basically just luck you know nothing that i really planned on doing or you know just something that i'm grateful for though that's crazy i don't know if i even ever heard that story so you didn't even know about the fan base i mean you know that people were interested in the stories but you didn't even know that here on youtube you know, people like me just want to hear prison stories. No. And I, I had seen I had seen a few I had seen a few um other people doing it. I had seen um a dude. And I definitely want to give a shout out to this dude, man. His name is St. Last. He's about a New York. Um, uh, he just you know, he reached out to me. He uh he 
he would um put my stories on his on his uh on his channel you know and i used to watch this dude so when he shouted me out i was real you know i was real happy and so that's why yeah. anytime someone reach out to me i i would like to you know return the favor and so his name is saint Laz. that's s-t-l-a-z check him out he's real you know he's real uh he's real good as well and so yeah i had seen a couple of these guys doing it and so i just uh you know, I, I was just telling the story, but I had no idea that I was going to get, you know, even be able to get a thousand subscribers. That was never in my, you know, in my wildest dream. And then initially when I started out, my cousin, he told me that I was a horrible storyteller. So <laughs> so I always rub that in his face. You know, As you it, should. Yeah, As you he's should. one of my biggest supporters, too. So. <laughs> well, shout out to cousin. Definitely shout out to St. Laz because. If it wasn't for him, he wouldn't be doing this interview here with me. And I'm so thankful. I'm so grateful. I'm so excited. Right. So let's get into some of these questions. Um, let's just start off with your childhood. Can you tell us a little bit about, you know, how you grew up? Um, what schools did you attend or single parent household, double parent household, things like that? Okay. So uh, I was born in 1971. I'm from a, a relatively small town. It was extremely small back then by the name of uh, Banning, California. Um, excuse me. It's in um, it's in Riverside County. It's maybe about uh, 25 minutes uh, west of Palm Springs. Uh, like I say, it's a small town. And back then it was extreme. It, it was extremely small. And so, you know, everybody knew everybody. Um, and, you know, everybody, we grew up respectful. You know, you call somebody, you know, Mr. and Mrs. Um, a lot of my friends, moms, my mom had went to school with and stuff. And so, you know, if you was out later on, we was about seven or eight doing something we didn't have no business doing. We'd get a whooping right there on the spot by one of our friends, moms. Then she'd call. By the time we got home, we'd get another whooping. So it was an extremely small family oriented community, you know. Um, I would say maybe about 70, 80 percent of the people who I graduated with. I had also started off going to first grade with. So, you know, we all we all knew each other. Um, and so, like I say, it was, uh, you know, it, it was fun growing up. I had a a, um, a two parent home. Um, my parents divorced, though, when I was when I was about three or four. My father ended up moving maybe about three or four minute drive around the corner, up the street and around the corner, a car ride. So, you know, my mom and my father continued to uh, be together on and off. And so. It was, you know, sort of like a, basically like a two-parent home, you know. And sometimes, like I say, I'd go around to my dad's house when he was, because uh, even though he bought a house around the street for a while, he still was living with us. Then he went back to his house later on, but they still was on and off. So it was, you know, it was a definitely a pretty good relationship. I mean, a good, uh, good childhood I had growing up. Very good. Good to hear. That's always good to hear. And so my next question is going to be kind of about the system like how did you come into connection with it at first um were you seeing people in your neighborhood go or i know just you know from being a fan of yours that you did spend a lot of time down in montana was it when once you got down there when people started getting arrested or did you just not even know anything about the system at all well um you know that's the sad part sometimes you know um <clears throat> When I was growing up, yeah, I had I had older homies and friends uh, going to the system, but they they kind of like glamorized it. You know, they it was almost like a rite of passage to go to prison. You know, um, briefly, I would say maybe around 84, 85. Um, the Crip and Blood, the Crip and Blood uh, situation kind of 
migrated and made his way out to the town that I lived in. So we, you know, we saw these um, different Crips and Bloods, primarily Crips, though. And, you know, so we was influenced by that. We had older cousins or something, um, friends who maybe had moved away to L.A. or visited and came back with that with the culture. So the culture had slowly made its way down to Bandon. So, yeah, I had definitely, you know, knew about the system. I had a um, a neighbor. He was a few years older than me. It seemed like every time I looked up, he was going to jail. And then getting back out, you know, and so, yeah, I, I definitely I definitely knew about it. But like I said, people more or less, they made it seem cool to go to prison. You know, they'd go to prison and come out with big muscles and long hair. And so, you know, they never really talked about the negative, the negative um, side of going to prison. So, you know, it, it was it was um, it was something that was in my mind. And then, of course, you know, the average criminal, he always feel he's never going to get caught anyway. So. <laughs> Well, about how far is banning from LA? Because I know you said it made its way down to you guys. Um, well, the traffic is so bad now. I would say, but maybe about maybe two hour, a two hour drive due to the traffic. But before, before I like maybe around in '93, before I went to prison, it was maybe about maybe about an hour and fifteen minutes. I don't know the exact mileage, but um, you know, it's it's not it's not too far, you know. Right. Okay. And so with everybody going to prison, not everybody, but, you know, the few people that you didn't know going to prison and jail, why do you think, you know, just looking back now after what you've experienced, why do you think that is that when people come out, because still to this day, rappers, they go to jail, they come out, they make songs about how they don't mind spending more time in jail. Why do you think people don't tell the bad stories? They try to, I don't know, glamorize it, if you will. Um, I think everybody's caught up in the bravado of being cool. You know, that's that's one thing that definitely I think it's um in some in some areas of, of, of the black community, you know, we acknowledge the wrong stuff, you know. Um and to me that's that's you know, that's just the that's the that's the gist of it right there that you know, um we have we're too worried about our image, you know. I think that I, and I think it's deeper than that. I think, it's, you know, it has something to do with slavery and this and that. But I believe the black man has always been um, concerned with appearing, appearing to be macho to the next black man. You know, and, and, and I believe, like I say, it comes from slavery. I believe that that, you know, basically the black man felt that he was he was whooped and belittled by the white man. So he definitely wasn't going to take that from another black man. And, and, it, and it's a lot bigger than that. But that's it in a nutshell. And so I believe, like I say, sometimes, you know, we we for whatever reasons we uh we glamorize the wrong thing you know we we make negative things seem cool to make us appear to be uh to be bigger and better at times that we shouldn't i agree with that wholeheartedly 100% perfectly said and so you said that um well no you didn't say i said that you were going down and spending some time in montana was this before you um, well, obviously it was before you did, you know, spend some time in prison. Um, tell us a little bit about not necessarily your time in Montana, but um, exactly what about when did you get arrested or when like were you doing things down in Montana to get you arrested? I know you were on the run for some time. Um, just, you know, fill us in. OK, well, yeah. Yeah. Uh... I went out to Mont I went out to Montana in late 89. I'd been out there a couple of times too when I was younger, maybe 10, 13. <clears throat> I had an uncle who had went out there on a uh, on a sports scholarship and he ended up staying out there then 
his sister, which was my aunt, she she moved out there and she had kids. So we would go out there periodically to visit them. And so uh, around 1989, uh, my cousins from Montana, they came from California. They came to California to um, to, uh, to have Thanksgiving, a Thanksgiving dinner at my at my grandmother's house. My grandmother has six children. Uh, she had six children and, you know, they would all meet up at my um, come back, you know, every 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 uh, Thanksgiving and Christmas to her house. So mm-hmm. they came back, you know, maybe um, a couple of weeks before my cousin came back. I had I had got shot out there in California selling drugs. And so my cousin was like, well, man, you know, you're not doing too much of nothing. Why don't you come out here and, you know, visit with us for a minute? And so the same cousin who told me that I was a horrible storyteller. And so, uh, <laughs> yeah, so we're, we're like, we're roughly around the same age. He's about six months older than me. So I said, yeah, you know, I'll go out here and visit and stuff. And so I just went out there to visit and I ended up staying out there. Um, I, I ended up moving out there and living out there. So from, from, from 89 until 93. And so, yeah, when I, you know, when I went out there, I'm young. So I, the same bad habits that, that I had in California, they just went with me to to Montana. So I go out there. I start selling drugs and stuff out there. Um, the profit up out there is exponentially greater than it is in California. So, you know, um, uh, when I get out there and I start making all this money selling drugs out there, it was just, you know, it was <laughs> it was it was only cracking. You know, what I'm saying? <laughs> so I'm young running around doing the same stupid stuff that I was doing in California. OK. And then is this where you eventually you know, I guess caught your cases. Well, no. See, what happened is um, the bad one bad thing about Montana. While the profit is extremely greater than than California, there's no it's it's no major drug port out there. You know, it's no um, it's it's not a big city. So of course, you know, um, a great a great percentage of the drugs that are in Montana are brought out there from other places, and so. Uh, I, you know, I ran out of I ran out of drugs. So what I would do, I would come back to California and get my drugs and then go out there. And so um, I end up running out of uh, I ran out of drugs one day. And so uh, I came back down to California to get some more. And I end up going to a house party. And so when I go to the house party, I become involved in a shooting. And from that shooting, um, I was charged with three attempted murders. And so I went on the run. And so uh, like a dummy, I went back to Montana because at at that point, my house had had been raided in Montana and I was already on probation out there for selling drugs. And so I had to um, I had to report like I believe it was once 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 a week I had to check up. So, of course. um, And now, but like I said, by this time, I've been I've been living in Montana for for almost four years. So so. A lot of people in Bannon, they know that, you know, I'm going back and forth to Montana. So um, the police was contacted. You know, my name was in the paper in uh, in um, in California. So I don't know why I didn't. I thought that I'd be safe going back to Montana. And so uh, the police happened to pull me over and I, you know, I jumped out. I took off running and I, and I got away. And so I was on the run for about a year. But um, while I was on the run, I ended up being charged with another murder as well. And so by the time I was apprehended. Now I have these uh I have these three attempted murders and I have a, a separate murder. Okay. And so while you were on the run, is that when you did go ahead and have your daughter? Or um, well yeah, um is that when she was born? I guess I should well, say yeah, when I when I when I uh was charged with three attempted murders at the at the party, um 
my my girlfriend at the time i believe she was like maybe about five months five months pregnant with my daughter Hmm. so uh while i was on the run in october my daughter was born Hmm. and did that mean anything to you did it feel did you feel bad or was it just like i got a lot going on right now i can only think about you know what's in front of me how did you feel about that because i'm sure you Um, missed the birth right yeah uh because my my daughter was born my daughter was born in montana and then they eventually moved to california and so yeah um um you know like i say at the time i was extremely immature young you know um and I didn't, you know, I didn't really give a whole lot of thought on, about my future, about what I was going to do. You know, um, yeah. I just, you know, my, my whole thinking was was to um, try to try to uh, deal with the deal with the people who was telling on me in that in that in that um, in that attempted murder. If I okay. could get them out of the way, I, you know, my 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 ignorant thinking was I would, <laughs> that case would be eliminated. And so, you know, but yeah, once my daughter, so once my daughter was born, you know, uh, her and her mother, eventually they moved to California. And so, yeah. uh, And like I say, now at this point in time, I'm still, you know, I'm still um, on the run from the other other case. And so, yeah, I didn't I didn't um, I didn't process things like like a mature adult, you know, and so it eventually uh, landed me in more trouble. Hmm. And so how did you eventually end up behind bars? Did they have to come and find you? Did you turn yourself in? <laughs> yeah, they found me. Uh, <laughs> I was never going to turn myself in at that point. You know, I just figured, that, you know, I mean, it's uh, it came with the life. You know, I figured it came with the life. And and so. Uh, and that's their job. Your job right, is to be on the run. Their job is to come out, and find that's, you. That's definitely, that's definitely, you know, that was definitely the way I thought. it. And so I still try to. Um, it just, it, 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 it puzzles me sometimes when you, when you see these young guys today and they're, they're, you know, they claim they're out there in the street and this and that, and then they get in some trouble and they turn themselves in, you know, to me that none of us should be in that situation to begin with that type of lifestyle. But it just lets me know that their, their heart really wasn't in it from the, from the gate, you know, because unfortunately, if you're going to be in that type of lifestyle, all that stuff comes with it, you know, and you have to, if you in that lifestyle, you definitely have to plan on going to prison. If you lucky, you know, some of them Mm -hmm. don't, some of us don't even get lucky enough. You know, we get murdered before we even get the chance to go to prison to, to mature and change and see what life's about. And so, yeah, I, uh, I, you know, I, I told them they, you know, my, my thing was they had to come find me. And, and so, yeah, they, they, uh, they found me. I, I was at my house and I was getting ready to go to the, uh, to the studio to do some music and, uh, went outside and they was, they was all over, you know, so they made me lay down and all that type of stuff. And, uh, I ended up going to jail. Okay. And so, um, prior to your actual conviction, when you were being, you know, charged and on the run and all that. Did you know the laws pertaining to, you know, attempted murder, to being on the run? Did you know how much time you could have been facing versus what your lawyer may have said? Did you feel like you were, you know, able to make decisions for yourself or were you just kind of thrown to the wolves in that aspect? Well, you know, that was that was really my first time being into any um, serious trouble. And, and like a lot of us out there who are running around doing illegal stuff, 
we don't know the consequences that we're up against, which is extremely silly, you know, and, and it just once again, it points out to how dumb uh, of how dumb we really are. You know, if, if you're going to take any type of illegal chance, <clears throat> you should know, you know, you should know the consequences of your actions. And and so I didn't know at all. And, and um, before before all this happened, like I would see and, and see, unfortunately for me, right in that small time period the laws had changed you know because i had seen i had seen some of my friends get charged with attempted murder or murder well you could get charged with attempted murder you could take a deal for seven years and do do half of that three years you could get charged with murder take a deal and for 16 years and do eight years and so you know like i said when i'm young i'm seeing my older homies and friends go in and out of the prison for this and this and that and so you know it, it looks glamorous but by the time i got caught up the laws that slightly changed, you know, they had got tired of people gang banging and stuff. And so um, the time that I was facing was was significantly different. And so, yeah, mm. so when I when I was, you know, when I was charged, um, I had never been in any trouble like that before. So, I, you know, I ended up getting a lawyer and I was looking at a lot. Of, I was looking at a lot of time. And, uh, you know, like anybody else in that situation, you know, you're delusional. You don't want to um, you don't want to go to jail. So, you know, you're thinking. You know, and then we're seeing sometimes we're seeing these these um these shows where you know so you're thinking that we're thinking that the legal system works in a way that it doesn't work. You know, we're thinking right. that we're going to get a a fairer shake than we're actually going to get. You know, um the legal situation is is a is a dirty game. You know, the um some of those some of those district attorneys are almost as ruthless as the people they're trying to prosecute. You know, they'll use any means or measure once they feel you are the person who done it, even if you're not. Mm. But once they feel you are, they do all types of dirty stuff and, and, and this and that. And, you know, to give you a small story about it, um, I had a uh, it was a confidential informant who was telling on me from inside the jail. And, and that's another thing. You know, we think that everybody we're in jail with is cool everybody's solid everybody's gonna stick to the rules you know i'm in there i'm young so i'm talking to this older guy older crip who had been to prison three or four times telling him things about my case that i shouldn't have he writes a letter to the district attorney saying hey uh i don't want to do all this time i want to come tell him this other guy and so he come to he come to he came to court and he told on me and he told him that i did my crime with um a couple of individuals now just so happened well it was two brothers just so happened one of those brothers he was dead at the time he had he had been dead before my before that case even happened so i couldn't have done it with him the other brother just so happened we had stole a uh, we had stole a car and he got caught in a stolen car so he was incarcerated at the time of the murder so he couldn't have done it mm. so now so once the district attorney finds this information out he he tells he tells some type of way my, my lawyer had called down there and heard he had got this on a voice message or something. But the district attorney was basically telling telling the people because we were trying to get those records to prove that these guys that uh, my friend was in jail. The district attorney said make he was telling somebody make that information as hard as possible for them to get, you know. So wow. like, you know, they, they talk about how the legal system is always interested in justice. Well, if you knew that was the case, why would you want to make that hard for us to, uh, to obtain, you know? So it's just a lot of, it's a lot of dirty tricks that, you know, that they play that the district attorney is going to play. And to me, it, it was like, he was taking my, my, um, now I was guilty of course, but it was like, he was taking my situation extremely personal. Like I had, 
I killed someone in his family or something, you know, so they just they play a dirty game. And, and, and these are things that people need to understand that when you get caught up in that court system, you know, you're not always going to get a fair shake, you know, not to mention there there are hundreds of innocent people in jail as well. So sometimes mistakes can be made. Like I say, once again, I reiterate, I wasn't I wasn't innocent, but I'm just saying that the legal system is nothing uh, in, in reality of how it may appear on TV. Hmm. Well, you said that it seemed like he was taking your case personal, but if you step into his shoes, it kind of is personal because that's a conviction rate, right? That's how he gets right. his money. That's how he keeps right. his job. It's going to keep so, his job. And then, of course, I have to understand, too, that um, he has a different mindset of me. He has a different mindset than I do. So, of course, he doesn't want... <clears throat> A dangerous, you know, dummy like me running around at that time. Who's gonna do things and makes his and make his community unsafe? You know, right. so those are, those are just things that we fail to realize sometimes when we're caught up in a um in a criminal type world. We're thinking that everybody is kind of thinking like us, which is far from the truth. You know, mm -hmm. you know, you have a lot of people who who deeply despise who deeply despise criminals as well. They should, you know, nobody wants. A community to the point where they can't go outside and, and do their daily business without the thought or the fear of you know a criminal coming and taking their you know taking their property taking their life or endangering them so you know we we have to understand that man the playing field is um uh, it's a dangerous playing field you know because it's only a small percentage of people who participate in a uh in an anti-social in an anti-social uh, 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 lifestyle. And when I say anti-social, I'm talking about, you know, a lot of people will associate anti-social with going to a party and not talking and stuff. But it's also another definition of anti-social, which is when you're anti-social, you're doing things that the majority of the society doesn't do. The majority of the, the society doesn't break laws, doesn't carry guns, doesn't gangbang, doesn't sell drugs. So those are things that are anti-social, you know, and so... Mm. When you're when you're living that type of lifestyle, of course, they want to incarcerate you and put you away. OK. And like you said, as they should. Right. Um, another thing you said I want to touch on real quick. You said that this was like your first time being in trouble or not necessarily being in trouble, but like your first case, you know, like this. And a lot of times people think that if this is your first time, this is your first case, oh, you should go ahead and, you know what I mean, do whatever. They're not going to throw the book at you. It's your first time. Right. But is that always true? Oh, of course not. Of course not. You know, it all depends on the severity of the uh, of the charges that, that you have been charged with. If they'll, you know, they'll slap you over the head and leave you in prison forever if you do something wrong. You know, I've seen, uh, I had a friend of mine, you know, I grew up with, and he was like, two years younger and he ended up getting a uh, life without, you know, he got life without. So he's, if the laws doesn't change, he's never coming home. Um, mm -hmm. My next door neighbor who I told you about, even though he had been to prison three or four times, he now has the death penalty. And so, um, yeah, it, it, it doesn't matter though. If you haven't been in trouble, if you go in there and you do something extremely foolish, they're not going to give you the chance to come back out and do it again. You know, I've, I've seen several guys in there get life without parole. I've seen several guys in there who, who was in there for their first time um get get the death penalty like myself you know I, that was my first time being in any major trouble uh i ended up getting um 16 years plus life and so you know they don't they don't care if you haven't been in any in any uh trouble if you do something you know real um real 
I guess, real deadly and violent, they're going to try to put you away for as long as possible. And since I since I got was arrested and all that, the laws have even been um, they have even been strengthened and toughened. So now um, a person who may go to jail for the same situation I went back then. Now he probably he's probably never getting out. You know, the laws mm. are even they're even tougher now. And so you did say that you got sentenced to 16 to life, but you ended up doing 24 years. Right. Uh -huh. Can we touch on that a bit? Um, is that so does that mean at 16 years you get to go up for a parole or how what exactly does that mean? And how did you end up doing 24? OK, so what, what happened is, like I explained earlier, I had two separate charges. So initially when they arrested me, they charged me with the. Um, with the uh, shooting at the house party, which was in like, I believe in June. And then, so about six months later, they charged me with a separate trailing murder case. And so mm. I end up, I end up going to trial on the attempted murders and I ended up getting, I ended up getting nine years plus life. So what happened was they found me guilty. It was a, it was a person who was shot in the head. They found me guilty of great bodily injury on him. And they gave me nine years. Um, the other individual who they said I was attempting to shoot at, who was never even hit, mind you, they gave me a life sentence for for him. So, so I, don't I ended even up understand getting, how that works. Yeah, I, I didn't either. But so this is this is what the breakdown. Like I said, the guy who got shot in the head, they gave me nine years. Um, uh, um, their theory was that a fight broke out, and when the fight broke out, I pulled out a gun and started shooting. So now, according to them, in that split. Two, three seconds for me to pull the gun out and shoot at this guy. I had, I had thought about it. So it was premeditated. They made mm. it premeditated. And so due to that premeditation charge and conviction, I was given a life sentence. And so I got nine years for the guy who was shot in the head and um, for the guy who, who I was trying to shoot at, which was the guy who got shot in the head. It was his brother. They gave me a life sentence. So I had nine years plus life. So. Okay. So how so so then keep in mind, like I said, I still had the trailing murder case. Mm -hmm. So I ended up taking a 16 year voluntary manslaughter uh, a deal for 16 years. So what the D.A. was willing to do, he was willing to run the 16 years and the nine years together. So now it's kind of it's essentially like now since 16 is bigger than nine, of course, I really don't even have the nine anymore. So now I just have the 16 years, but he wasn't willing to let me serve both cases at the same time so now instead of nine plus life i ended up getting 16 years plus life and so how that worked is i had to serve the 16 first um back then with that 16 years i was eligible for halftime so i had to do eight years off the 16. then i would start doing my life sentence um so that life sentence was if you just if in, in California, if they give you, which is extremely rare now, but if they give you just a flat life sentence, you mm -hmm. have to serve seven years before you're eligible to uh, eligible to see the parole board. You know, most people are sentenced to like 15 years to life, not 15 plus life. So when you get sentenced to a 15 to life, the base number is 15. You have to do you have to serve 15 before you're eligible to see the parole board. So, but like I said, me, I got 16 plus life. So after I'd done the 16 years, I had to serve a life sentence and a, uh, a flat life is seven years. So I had to do um, 15 years before I was eligible to see the parole board. But 
the reason that I've done 24 years is because initially when I was sentenced to life, even if you had life with the possibility of parole in California, um, they wasn't they wasn't paroling anybody with life for uh, for murder. So mm. basically, if you got a life sentence with parole, you was basically sentenced to a life without parole. Mm. And now, so imagine going to prison, you know, you got many, many other people who have life, just the type of atmosphere that it that it creates the mindset. You know, if, if you have a violent and dangerous individual in prison and he knows he's never going to come home, there's no incentive to be good in prison. So mm-hmm. now it's prison is off the chain. And with, with all these guys. OK, so now I'm, I'm thinking my neighbor on the left and my neighbor on the right is going to kill me at the drop of a hat. I either have to match their intensity and be willing to kill too, or I'm or or I'm never going home, or so I'm I'm gonna die or whatever. So now you have a lot of people with a extremely violent attitude. And so, you know, of course, the more trouble you get in, the more it extends your your the more it extends your stay in prison. You know, the your record is bad and this type of stuff. So fortunately, later on, they did revamp the parole system. But by that time, you know, I had developed a negative mindset. You know, um, I was staying in trouble. And so when I did get a chance to go to the parole board, you know, um, I wasn't I wasn't in a I wasn't in a position to to be released due to my uh, due to my record up in there. (laughs) Mm. And so let's get into that a little bit, because just from me listening to different prison stories, I have heard that you can get into an altercation on your first day there and have no more altercations for 20 years. And then you go see that parole board and they're going to say, well, 20 years ago, you got into a fight. Is that um, something you've seen in your experience as far as, you know, people making parole or not? Uh, most definitely. And like I said, since then, all that stuff has changed. But initially, okay. when I first- when I first came in, yes, they would hold, you know, they would they would make all these type of excuses to to deny an individual parole. So, uh, yeah, you may have you might have you know been in there three or four years and you got you got two or three write ups, but you've been trouble free for 17 years. So when you go to the board where they say, hey, well, this officer back in 1992, he told you to lock up. You refused to lock up. So why did you do that? You know, you don't respect authority, you know, and and the way they question you was extremely antagonistic, you know. And right. So, so, you know, of course, if you didn't have the wherewithal to to answer in a way that was pleasing to them and who knows what's pleasing to the parole board, uh, they were going to make an excuse to to um, to deny you. And, and see, that's another thing that I realized when I was in prison, um, to be honest with you. Being in prison didn't even it didn't even it didn't even bother me outside of not being with my family. It, it didn't bother me because I. I you know, I, I wholeheartedly accepted that gang life, the gang mentality in, in the gang way of thinking, you know, so none of that stuff bothered me. To me, it was just um, it was just another part of the process. Only thing that bothered me was when I got ready to go to the parole board. Hmm. You know, then I was like, damn, then it dawned on me all the control that I gave someone else over my life. You know, wow. And so when it was time for me to go to the parole board, the first three or four times it bothered me so much that I postponed it. I just said, Hey, you know what? Cause you can postpone. Like if you, if you had been in some trouble or whatever, you know, because in my mind, I'm thinking what in the hell am I going to go in there and say to these people to convince them to let me out when I have these three attempted murders, then I have a, 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 a separate murder. And that's one thing that shook me to the core. And so my way of dealing with having a life sentence 
figure, feeling that I was never going to go home was not dealing with it. I just, um, I postponed it. I'd not even think about it. Every now and then I may take my court trip, my court transcripts down. I'd read a little bit. It would just, it would just shake me up and make me nervous. So I'd put it up, you know, so I chose to deal with it by not dealing with it. And so, um, you know, that's how I dealt with it. Like I say, the first time I postponed for a year, I told him, hey, I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not ready. So I'll, I'll be back in a year. So when they scheduled me to come back in a year, that next year, when it was time for me to go back, um, I postponed again. Now, in, in, in those periods, now they had started revamping the parole system and some some people with life were starting to get released. So the next time it was time for me to go back. This time I wanted to go back, you know, but everybody knew in there that it was extremely well, it was it, it wasn't rare. You wasn't going to get out on your first time going to the parole board, you know. So I wanted to go and, you know, they 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 tell you what you need to do. Take these self-help classes, do this, do that. I wanted to go to uh, hear what they wanted me to do. But now the lawyer they had assigned me to at the time, he was advising me not to go. And the reason he was advising me not to go is when he came to see me, I was in the hole. I was in the hole for a riot. Um, the the, uh, the collective I run with, we had got into a, a riot with the Compton and Watts, the Crips from Compton and Watts. And so now in that time period that they're revamping, they're revamping the parole board. They had also came up with a new law. At first, they could only deny me two years. They could deny me one year or two years when I like if I went to the parole board in 2000, they could say, OK, you're not ready. Come back in 2001 or 2002. But in that time period, now they had revamped it. Now, now the shortest denial period was three years. So you could either get a three-year denial, a five-year denial, a seven-year denial, a 10-year denial, or a 15-year denial. So imagine, imagine doing 20 years and they tell you to come back in five years, you know, tell you to come back in 10 years. That's like a whole nother sentence, you know. Mm. And like I say, that's another thing that a lot of us don't realize that when we get caught up, and we throw away our freedom, we no longer have any control. You know, those people can create any type of law, any type of rule they want, and we pretty much have to abide by it, or we're at the mercy of whatever they want to say. You know, like at one point in time, they created a rule that you couldn't have you couldn't have long hair, you couldn't have a mustache, you couldn't have a beard. And so, you know, uh when you're in your house, their house, you play by their rules. And so, you know, it's 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 a lot of things that we don't realize out here in, in these streets, you know, so either we have to be willing to deal with the consequences or we have to bow down and accept their rules. And so, you know, freedom is um definitely is definitely priceless. So back to the story. Um, So I told so my lawyer, he uh, so I said, hey, you know what? They're not just to let me. They're not just to give me a parole date on my first day. Anyway, I definitely want to go up in there. So um, so he'd advised me a time or two to, to, to postpone, to take a year postponement. So I said, no, I don't want to do that because I've, mm -hmm. I've already postponed twice. So exactly. the, day I, the day I get ready to go up in there, there's this dude that I used to always see him in the law library. And so once again, the lawyer is advising me to um, to postpone postponement because he's saying now he's saying now I fear that if you go in there fresh off this this disciplinary action for a riot, they're going to give you a long uh, a long oh, denial. No. I asked, I spoke to the dude just so happened for me who, uh, who happened to, I used to see him in the law library all the time. He was another lifer. He happened to be in the parole. He was waiting to go to parole too. And so he told me, he said, yeah, man, chill. I think you should postpone it. So now when my lawyer come back, 
he said, uh, okay, you're ready to go in there. What you going to do? I said, okay, I, I will postpone it. So I said, tell him to give me a year postponement. And so now they was, they was unwilling to agree to a year. They, right. the only thing they agreed to was a five year because they said, we believe that if, if you come, if you come to your parole hearing, you're going to get a lengthy, lengthy denial. So long story short, I had to accept a five year denial when I'd already postponed, um, when I'd already postponed for two years. So at, at, and at that time I had, a, I had a, I had a cell phone. So, you know, um, imagine me having to, you know, break the news to my mom and my brother. I, you know, Hey man, uh, I went in there. I, you know, I'm, I won't be back till five more years. And I'm trying to see how long I had done at that time. I maybe done maybe about 17 years at that time, maybe somewhere up in there. I don't know. But so, you know, but all that was due to the way, you know, my behavior, you know, I'd, I'd accumulated a lot of write-ups, a lot of disciplinary, uh, you know, infractions and stuff like that. So, like I said, when they did revamp the parole system, due to due to the belief that I was never getting out, I hadn't put myself in a position to, to get out. And so getting that five-year denial um, or postponement, I mean, it's really the same thing, if you ask me. Right. Did that kind of make you take a step back like okay i gotta change it up i gotta i gotta i gotta i gotta change the way i'm acting in here because if these people want to keep me here for the rest of my life they very they very you know very well could yeah and you know unfortunately at that time for me it it uh it didn't like i said you know i had a i had a cell phone in in my cell when i went in there and took that denial you know but I'd already told myself that once I got caught with that cell phone, then I was going to try to straighten up and change, you know. Oh, that was going to be the end all be all. <laughs> right. And then slowly but surely, like I'm saying, it's all this is happening. Now I'm slowly, but like I said, the, the parole board got uh, revamped. You had a lot of you had a lot of uh, convicts who was filing um, who was filing lawsuits, you know, like you had some old people who had who had been sentenced to seven years plus life and they'd been in there 35, 40 years. So. You know, you had a lot of people filing these lawsuits and slowly but surely some of these lawsuits were being ruled on in a way that was favorable to the prisoner. And so, you know, once once one dude files a lawsuit about being held um, unfairly, it applies to everybody if it's ruled favorably. So slowly but surely, I'm starting to see people who I was doing life sentences with getting released. So now now that I'm seeing this, this is really like helpful in towards me changing my attitude and like, dang, OK, if this dude went home, I can go home, you know. And so, um, you know, the, the, the parole board was revamped. They got they got rid of a lot of the commissioners who had extremely low rates for denying people. They was retrained. And so, yeah, eventually, you know, I started thinking that I that I could get out. And, and that's what helped me to start, you know, um, programming in a in a way that was uh, conducive with me coming home. Okay. Well, I'm glad that they did, you know, go ahead and revamp those rules, let some of those guys out so that, you know, you could eventually get out. Eventually, right. I guess, come to your senses, if you will. And so let's kind of go back um, to before you were um, sentenced. If you can remember, what were some of the last things you remember about the free world like what kind of cars were out what kind of music was out was there if any what kind of technology was out um okay as far as technology is concerned there wasn't you know um i had a few cell phones but they was i had a big old giant cell phone it was like a brick <laughs> it was tan 
Then I had another cell phone that uh, I could plug it into my car. It was in a bag and I would plug it into the lighter. But, you know, the the um, the uh, the cell phone bills was extremely high. You know, they was extremely high. And then I had another cell phone. It was a um, it was I purchased it out of Radio Shack and the brand name was called Tandy Vision. And I believe it was eleven hundred dollars. And, and, and for a cell phone back then, it was kind of small, but it was it was um, it was it was big compared to the cell phones nowadays. But for back then, it was small, but it definitely was no Internet. You know, the cell phones didn't have all these Internet capabilities. Like I said, you know, you could make a couple of calls on them and your bill would be four or five hundred dollars. So it was really more for for a, a flossing effect, you know, trying to stunt and stuff like that. And um, but now music, you know, I remember um, Wu Tang, Wu Tang Clan, Cream. You know, that was one of the, one of my favorite songs back then. Right before I went to jail, um, SWV. I think they had a, a remix with Wu Tang Clan. Warren G. Um, his his CD was out or tape, I should say. Nas. Um, what's that first song tape by Nas? I don't uh, I don't know if you would know it. Um, uh but yes stuff like that you know i was driving i had i had uh i had a few cars but my favorite car was a uh it was a 19 it was a 1978 cutlass it was an oldsmobile you know i had a nice paint job on it with some rims and um inside you know um in inside uh, uh plushed all out and stuff like that and uh yeah i'm trying to think what else songs might have been popular back then um uh warren warren g uh uh endo smoke who was that guy that had the song called endo smoke so yeah just stuff like that no you, you know? ain't asking me right <laughs> well you know you have you have some you have some people your 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 generation who 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 go back and they study hip-hop and rap and so sometimes i'm surprised you know but uh it's killing me that i can't think of that nas that nas uh tape but anyway well, shout out to technology like we can look it up right quick Right. While I get this next question out. And so when you were immediately locked up, what were some of the immediate differences you noticed? Like the smells, the clothes, the lack of, you know, cell phones or things like that? Well, when I was when I was when I was locked up and immediately what I noticed is was just a big difference in the food. You know, I'm I'm um I'm an extreme well, I would say I'm lightweight picky when it comes to food, you know, so certain stuff i'm not going to eat um regardless of you know i just go hungry before i eat certain stuff um so that's what i noticed you know just the food you know um just just the food maybe the smell you know uh of course the clothes you know because now we're wearing jail clothes and stuff like that and um um they they didn't have all the the um technologies that they have today you know like the computers the games and stuff like that so i think today that an individual would get locked up he would probably be have extreme extreme you know um uh uh i'm what's the word not backlash but but he have, have problems not being able to get get you know if you're used to playing electronics all day and stuff then you're gonna mm. have you know that's probably gonna bother you you know you're in you're in a small little cell and stuff so you know yeah if you grew up on video games and you know used to having your cell phone and stuff, you're probably gonna have some you know some problems not being able to do that type of stuff. That's a very interesting perspective because um, 
and they said the first Nas tape was halftime or Illmatic, something like Illmatic, that. Illmatic, that's it right there. And that's the <laughs> word I was searching for. Withdrawals. You're gonna have some. You're gonna have some electronic withdrawals. You know. Definitely, because mm -hmm. um, y'all definitely didn't have these phones and computers in y'all face twenty four seven. Right. And people, their phones die nowadays. They can't even continue on with their day. So. Right. That is a definitely interesting perspective. And also, you know, back then, there was at least four or five numbers that most people, or at least myself, I knew by heart that I could call. So any event oh, you no. go to jail now and all your numbers <laughs> are stored in your phone, you know, you're going to have a heck of a time trying to, uh, you know, contact the people that, that you may want to contact. That's right. The only number I know by heart is mine and my mom's. That's mm -hmm. it. Right. <laughs> <laughs> do you still remember numbers by heart or do you just, uh, now that you got that cell phone... Well, you know what? Uh, um, uh, the smartphones, they have made me stupid to a certain degree, too, because, no, I, I don't. It's certain numbers that I don't remember by heart now. Well, only numbers that I do remember is, is like my mom, the numbers that I was calling when I was incarcerated. So my mom, mm -hmm. my daughter, um, because like you say, now we don't have to. We can easily store it in the phone. And, and I think, you know, sometimes that definitely doesn't help with, with you know, the advancement of a person's intellect. Um, but at, at the same time, I also do like it because like like you just done right now, you're able to and I'm a person that loves information. So I'm I love to be able to, you know, look up something real fast when I can't remember it or, you know, like you just looked up and found out the name of the Nas album. So that's one aspect that I do love, too, about uh, technology. Uh, also, you know, having yeah, everything gotta, right there at, at the tip of your fingers. We got to use it for good and not evil. Right. So you did mention that you were, you know, um, a few of the people that you were calling when you were incarcerated. And so tell us about those relationships. Was it hard to keep relationships with your daughter, with your mom, with, you know, your girlfriend at the time? Um, was it easier to just kind of tell them, you know, it was, you know, going to be hard to keep those relationships? How did you go about keeping those close, intimate connections? Well, the in prison, when you're incarcerated, your relationships are most definitely strained. And, you know, um, that's, I think, in every prison, probably across the world, that's one of the um, one of the things that that fights break out the most is behind, you know, behind the phone, you know, because you need you need to be able to communicate with your loved ones, your family, um, you know, your lawyer, all the things that that we didn't we didn't probably we, we probably didn't prioritize, you know, and make them as important as we should. Now they suddenly become important once we're removed away from them, you know. Mm. And so, uh, yeah, and then so imagine, say, when you get to prison, you know, the phones in California, they work on a 15-minute time slot. So, you know, you only have 15 minutes, and that 15 minutes goes by so fast, you know, especially if you're calling. You may want to talk to your mom. You may want to talk to, uh, you know, your daughter, your girlfriend. So you you have to divvy, you have to divvy those minutes up. And like I said, the time goes by so fast. And then it's so aggravating to have an issue, you know, that you want to talk about and you can't get on the phone, you know, like. So say I, I need a phone call on Wednesday, the way the system works in California is I'll have to sign up for a phone call on Tuesday, you know, and so the, the guard will come around. I might be in cell 20. So they may start at they they may start at cell 16 today. So that means by the time they get to my cell, the the, uh, the phone sign up list is is 
pretty much wide open. I can get any any phone call that I want. But then the next day they move forward seven more sales. So so sometimes they'll get to your sale and it's only maybe one or two phone slots on, you know, phone slots that you can't use. Sometimes they don't even make it to your sale. So. So now say I sign up for a phone call, you know, I, I got a good slot. I, I, I'm calling at 730 at night, you know. And so maybe seven o'clock, a fight breaks out. So now we have to get on. The, we have to lay on the, you know, lay on the ground. So by the time they get this situation handled, now it's 745. It's somebody else's phone call. So I don't even get a phone call. So now I have to wait a whole nother day. And maybe the next day something else happens. A riot jumps off. Now we locked up for two, three months. So all these things, you know, are extremely aggravating and stuff. You know, when you're trying to. Um, you're trying to have a relationship and maintain a relationship, whether it's, you know, with your mom, your girlfriend or whoever, you know. And so it's definitely it's definitely it's definitely hard. It's definitely, uh, you know, it's definitely strained. And then, like I said, keep in mind um, now that they have and now that I'm free, I understand, you know, now that they have all these all this technology. Nowadays, I'm just assuming that everybody's not even writing letters no more, you know, so. When I was in prison, you know, receiving mail was, uh, you know, one of my favorite parts of the day. And now I understand that, you know, things is going by so fast. You know, I, I got out with good intentions to to write my homie and, and send some pictures. And I haven't sent any pictures back. You know, <laughs> I didn't send I didn't send a lot of my friends packages and, and money and stuff, but I haven't sent any pictures. And I tell them, you know, now I tell them, homie, now I understand because, you know, even though the day is only 24 hours long, man, you know, when dudes, you go to work, you might want to, you know, watch a little TV, go exercise, whatever, you know, you get stuck on the phone, looking at YouTube or whatever. I just said, homie, sometimes, man, you know, it's uh, the world is going moving by fast, man. It's not as it's we don't on the free in, in this free world have as much time as we have in prison, man. You know, and it just mm. you know, I try to explain to some of my homies that call, I say, you know, so so don't be so hard on your girl. Give her a break, you know, or, or whatever, because it's 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 homie, you know, in, in prison we have so much time to, you know, to make up plans and do this and do that and figure out the world and stuff. I said, but it's it's not like that. It's not like this when you're out here free, homie. Wow, that's a very interesting perspective because um, when you were at first talking about how you might easily miss your phone time, I was going to touch on how, like you said, guys or anybody coming from this free world so used to having iPads and phones right there at their disposal, that can be hard to handle. But also you being incarcerated and you're like, dang, I ain't getting no letters. Ain't nobody answering the phone. But it's hard to understand like, it's a lot going on out here and that yeah. doesn't necessarily mean I'm, I don't have time for you. I don't want to make time for you, but literally just sitting on TikTok scrolling, that's five hours of my day accidentally. <laughs> right. And then life, you know, life, life. And that's something, something that we fail to realize, you know, life goes on, but mm. I can say in California, you know, and I think California is a little bit slow in terms of technology investment in prison, but now I'm hearing that they're giving dudes tablets in there. And so, um, you know, I, I got a couple friends up in there who have life who still call me. Right. And I tell them, hey, man, listen, don't call me on the cell phone because I don't want you to get caught with the cell phone. Because if you get caught with a cell phone, that's a definitely a three year denial. The next time you go to the board, you know, I said, call me from the call me from the pay phone. Homie. You know, I, I keep money on my phone. You know, if you need something, I got you. But, uh, you know, don't don't risk your freedom, you know, messing with the cell phone. But now. So 
uh, a dude told me, he said, well, now they give, they got tablets and now they can call as often as they want to on the tablet. I said, okay, well, yeah, go ahead and do that. So that's one thing now that they're getting, you know, they're advancing some, you know, uh, with the California system. Cause I hear Arizona and stuff, they, they let you have playstations and a whole bunch of other, you know, a lot of prisons let in other States, let people have playstations and stuff like that. So, you know, so it's, it's, it, it's, uh, it's getting a little bit better, but it's still nothing like still nothing like having your freedom. Not they trying to let me find out they're gonna start selling uh PlayStations on commissary for a thousand dollars. Right. They 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 have them in there, and then you know, in California, um prisons that got extremely overcrowded. So they were starting to send prisoners, they were like, I guess, doing subcontracting and sending them to other states, Arizona, Mississippi. Um, and a few other states, but me being a lifer, I was ineligible to go. But yeah, they were saying out there they had playstations and all that type of stuff. So, wow. And I, I thought you was about to say it was getting overcrowded and they were starting to send some people home, but I know they ain't no. doing that, huh? <laughs> no, uh-uh. So, you know, one one quick thing too, Tiffany. You know, yeah. people fail to realize too that prison is a, is is a business. You know, it's jobs, it's a warehouse. You know, and so they're going to try to incarcerate people as much as they can, you know, and, and as often as they can when we give them when we give them the uh, the legal right to do that. And like I say, they fail to realize that prison is a billion dollar uh, business. You know, the, in, the the prison industry makes a lot of money and stuff. And so, you know, um, yeah, it's, it's once you get in, they, they definitely want to try to keep you in if they can. That's what I was thinking when you were mentioning um you know, guys have life and they end up, you know, it's hard to tell them not to do certain things. It's like, you know, they may feel like they're never getting out, but these same guys are housed with people who could have a year or two years. You know what I mean? Like, why would you even mix, you know, that kind of, those kind of people together? It's like, they want to make sure that both of y'all stay here for the rest of y'all life. If we can help it. Right. And so let's get on, um, a little of the stuff that you've seen while you were incarcerated, uh, the guards. Let's talk about the guards. Can you tell us a time where either you've seen a guard basically make or break um, a situation? Either they were there to save somebody or they were not there. They ignored somebody. Are the guards going to basically protect you or are you you know, going to have to protect yourself? How does that work? Well, I think, you know, a lot of people who've never been in trouble, they, they make this they make the sad assumption that um, guards, law enforcement officers, police officers, they're all these great people, you know, that they suddenly change when when they don a, a particular type of uniform. And we fail to realize that um, the guards, police, they're, they're human just like us. They have dislikes. They have things that they don't like. So, you know, you're going to you're going to have your different type of people. Some guards are, are are truly there to try to do a good job. You know, some some don't. I've seen guards, you know, be extremely uh, inappropriate and unprofessional. You know, they because like I say, guards, they they don't like a person that's in there for robbing and, and raping and murder and stuff like that. So, you know, guards, I have seen guards yell people's charges over the tier in an attempt to expose them to other mm. convicts and get them hurt. Uh, I had a guard literally tell us one time, you know. There was an individual who was in there stealing. And when you're stealing, it's going to lead. And he was stealing for, for, from another race. In California, everything is 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 segregated by races. I mean, it's not segregated to the point we don't talk to other races. But 
All the whites are putting the sales with whites. All the Hispanics are putting the sales with Hispanics, so on and so forth. And I'm told that Northern State does this. So what they do is they, California, to a certain extent, they promote this racial, this racial uh, separation. And so uh, now if I get into it with a Hispanic dude, you know, I'm not allowed to put my hands on him and he's not allowed to put his hands on me by prison rules. If, uh, you know, in the event that that transpires, that there's going to be a, a riot between the blacks and the, and the uh, Hispanics. So, um, so how that happens is, okay, so, you know, maybe I'll go talk to the Hispanics or somebody who has some rank and say, hey, man, this dude done this. And so they'll, you know, talk to him. And if they feel that he's wrong, they'll deal with him, you know. But, you know, if, if we're not allowed to put our hands on each other, but of course people do, but it turns into an all-out riot. So anyway, this one uh, black dude was doing some stealing or whatever, and the guard, so, you know, and then, you know, you have people that's, that's in that prison sometimes three, four years, you know, the guards working there. So they de develop, they develop rapports and sorry about that. Excuse me. You're good. You're good. You're good. And so I thought I turned this off. But uh, so basically the guard said, hey, listen, man, you know, so the, and the guard, they know how things work in prison. Look, we're going to have to beat this guy up and send him on his way. The guard says, OK, well, listen, man, two things. Don't kill him and don't stab him uh, at 1230. I'm going to be over here getting some coffee, you know, so you guys got five minutes to do whatever you need to do, you know, and I've seen that happen a lot of times. You know, I've seen a guard, you know, um, a guy goes to the hole or whatever. Maybe the um, the guard and this guy have gotten, you know, they, they've had uh, incidents in the past. The guard, instead of well, packing, packing his property up and sending it to where it needs to be, the guard sets his property out saying, hey, you guys get what you want to get out of here. You know, just mm. stuff like that. I've seen all types of, you know, I've seen all types of stuff that that the guards do. You know, sometimes I've seen them antagonize and talk to people unprofessionally to the point they now if this dude turns around and starts fighting, of course, then they come. They all run over there and beat him up and then lie on him, said he done this, he done that. But it just all depends on it all depends on the guard. You know, I've seen some guards in there that's that that are cool in, in you know, in terms of uh of uh in relation to a guard, you know, I mean, he's still going to do his job. If it comes between you going to the hole and him losing his job, you going to the mm -hmm. hole. But some of them don't antagonize you. They don't mess with you. They just come and do they ate and hit the gate. So it just, it, you know, it just all depends on that particular guard's personality. Okay. Then we have, to, you know, to, then also to be fair, you have a lot of uh, uh, convicts and prisoners in there who, who are not always, you know, respectful and they do type of things too, too, you know, so it, 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 uh, it, it works both ways, you know. At the end of the day, in order to get respect, you have to give respect and you have guards and prisoners that's not necessarily willing to do that for whatever reason sometimes. Mm. And so it's just it's not even about the uniform. It's just a person. You're just interacting with a person. Right. Right. OK. And so you did talk about um, a little bit about people moving when there was some overcrowded um, prisons. But just, you know, in general, are you able to transfer yourself somewhere or do you basically have control over where you go? Um, let's say if, you know, somebody was hiding from somebody or they had gotten themselves into something. Is that a way that they could protect themselves by bouncing around from prison to prison? Um, Somewhat, you know, somewhat. Now, how that, you know, and, and people ask me, people ask me that from time to time on my YouTube channel, uh, you know, well, why is this guy moved to so many prisons in, in California? California has 32 prisons, which, which 
which is a lot of prisons, you know. Um, and so you could be like, uh, you could be from one area and you could be housed at a prison nine hours away. So if California is based on a on a point system, but they also, if you stay out of trouble for a year, every year we have what's known as an annual, and it's basically just like a review of of how you're doing your time and and if you're staying out of trouble and stuff. So if you stay if you stay trouble free for a year at your annual, you can request to be moved to an institution closer or to to or or if you happen to want to go to an institution that has certain type of trades you're interested in learning, if there's if there's available space, then yeah, they'll they'll send you. So um, if you get in trouble in California too, they may send you to like if you're if you're at a level two, which is minimum security, then you get into a couple of fights and you raise your points up. Now you have to go to medium security. They're going to move you somewhere else. So anytime you get moved when it's when it's an adverse transfer, then you have no control over where you're going to go. You know, mm. if you get in trouble and mess up, they're just going to send you wherever there's bed space. And so. So it, it all depends, though. Yeah. So if you want to if you want to try to hide from someone, you know, you can kind of do a little bit of um, a little bit, a little bit of moving. But in reality, you really can't because, you know, even though it's so many prisons, the prisons are always small. And so they're always going to be able to send word. Hey, man, chill, chill, stole some money down here. So, you know, uh, when he gets up there, you know, people are always sending word in kites. It's always people being transferred, you know. And now, of course, now with these phones, there's no hiding. You know, there, there's no hiding now because people can find out where you are. And uh, if you've done something, you know, it's going to catch up with you. Well, yeah, that just actually segued into my next question. Since there is technically not supposed to be, you know, cell phones in prison or there aren't any, how is it that word spreads so quickly? How is it that, you know what I mean, information is bouncing around the way that it is? And and, and like I just said, even before the cell phones, just, you know, you have a mass of, 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 of convicts moving and stuff. Um, mm. when, I first, when I first hit the prison, um, I told a story about when I got there, the guy asked me, man, how much time you did? You know, uh, well, you ain't never going home, a dude by the name of C. Looney. So right before I left, he was at the same prison. I've never been at one prison and there hasn't been people from other prisons that I was at. So it's always going to, you know, whatever prison you get to, you're definitely going to know many people. Many people are going to know you or at least know of you. And so, you know, like I said earlier, if if if, you know, you've done something and, and people can, you know, because you have you have the you have the um you have the, the convicts working in the R&R. R&R is what's known as receiving and release. And they're also in charge of, you know, people getting transferred. So if if a person wants to know, hey, man, this dude right here, Johnny Smith, he just, you know, he stabbed somebody and done something he shouldn't have done, man. Where did he where did he get transferred to? If I work in R&R, I can look and say, OK, oh, yeah, they they sent him to Tehachapi. So now that person who's trying to find out where he's at when he has friends going to Tehachapi, they'll just write a note. You know, they'll write a note. They call it a kite. They Roll it up real small, you know, take it with them and and pass the note to who it needs to get passed to. And so when, you know, so John now Don, Donnie Smith may be at the Hatchview two months. He think he's hiding. Now, here comes somebody else from the same prison that he was at with a with a kite saying, hey, get this dude. And so now he's coming back from work with his little lunch thinking he's he's all good. And he looks up and people are getting him. So it's just, you know, it's definitely um a, an elaborate you know, system that they have, if, if they want to get you, you, you can't hide unless you, you know, request to be put in protective custody or something like that. That is definitely an elaborate system. All the work that goes into it. 
Right. And they have nothing but time on their hands to try to figure out, you know, how to get you and stuff. And that's one thing that that I was um surprised by is the the ingenuity and the intelligence of a lot of people in prison. You know, it just um it, it's 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 literally mind boggling on the things that they can they can create, they can come up with, you know, it's just it's really it's really uh some of those dudes are extremely intelligent and 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 creative, you know. And, and if uh, if they was to invest their time into doing other things, they definitely could have been, you know, um, great people in, 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 you know, in different fields. You know, I've seen dudes in there, you know, because it's sad that um, when 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 we're in this environment, we we put limitations on each other because all we see each other as gang members, drug dealers and this and that. So it's surprisingly it's sad when you run across a person and you say, well, damn, man, I didn't know you could paint. And I didn't know you could do this or I didn't know you could do that because we don't expect much of each other. You know what I'm mm. saying? So it's um, I've seen, like I said, I don't I don't have a lot of patience to do stuff, but I've seen some of the some of this, these dudes create lighters and and all types of stuff out of the smallest of stuff. Just just the inventions they come up with in prison is mind boggling. You know, could have been a whole engineer. Right. Well, that's OK. You got to you know, we learning. We all learning. And so you did touch on the fact that prison is a billion dollar industry, mm-hmm. which as we all know, it is. And they're making so much money off these prisoners, but it seems like they pay 25 cents an hour or 12 cents an hour for the jobs. Right. right. What is that like? Like, is it hard to accumulate, you know, um, some money to be able to do anything with, do you get to choose your job? And, um, I don't know if you know, I'm sure you know, the jobs where like you, I guess they're outsourced and maybe like they're picking trash up off the highway, things like that. Do they make actual free world wages or how does that work? Well, definitely nobody in there, nobody in there makes free world, uh, free world wages, you know. Um, In California, the pay is, is extremely low depending on where you're at. You know, some, you may have a job in the kitchen making 10 cents an hour, you know, you're, you're, you might you might max out at maybe 14 or 15 cents. You know, they do have some jobs that pay uh, better than others. Um, they had in certain prisons, they have what's known as the PIA, the, the Prison Industry Association, I think. And some of those jobs might pay maybe 70, 80 cents an hour, you know. So you might be making maybe $150, $200 a month with overtime. And that's good money compared, you know, that's good money up in there. Um, mm. Right before I left, they had um, basically some type of construction crew. They was building some stuff at a prison. Now, those jobs were paying a little bit more, you know, and you had a lot of people trying to sign up and get get put on, those, you know, put on the list to work at those jobs and stuff. And so it just it it just all depends. And sometimes, yeah, you can request you can request to get to get, um, you know, um, hired at a certain job. But a lot of times when those jobs are paying well, it's a long waiting list, you know, to get in there and stuff. So. For the most part, they just assign you a job, though. If you don't like it, then you can go talk to maybe another officer. He may, you know, may have room to hire you where he's working at and stuff. But for the most part, um, all the jobs in there don't don't pay. You know, they, they don't pay well. You, you, it's definitely hard to try to to um, survive and and, you know, get the things that you need off, off prison pay. But it, it can be done. You know, some jobs you might make 40, 50 dollars a month. Um, it just all depends, though. But now you said that that's good money, but 
comparing to, you know, the things you need to buy on commissary and how much they cost versus how often you can go to commissary. Is it good money? Like, you know, can you survive off $150 a month? Off now off $150, you can. Not not okay. $30 or $40, because you know, just like everywhere else, the um the prices in prison, the things on the commissary list in California, we call it the canteen list, but the things on the canteen list, um, they're steady increasing, you know. And so you can you can survive. Um people, you just just have to know how to manage your money, which another thing I learned a lot of people have bad money, money management money managing habits but now see me particularly i don't drink coffee or i didn't drink or i don't smoke tobacco and so those are a lot of the big things that people indulge in in, in prison well now you're no longer able to smoke in california but um it just all depends on the things that you buy you know um but forty dollars yeah it would be kind of tough you know to make it on on forty dollars because you know you got to get your soups you got to get stuff to eat because they don't feed you well so you definitely and then they feed you around four o'clock four or five o'clock in in the um so they uh, breakfast is like around six o'clock then they give you a sack lunch where well, ain't nothing but an apple and a, and a small you know small little piece of meat and a, maybe some graham crackers then they feed you around 4 35 30 so of course if you know you're 200 pounds 270 250 you're gonna be hungry you know come around seven o'clock eight o'clock so you definitely want to have some more food in the cell so like i said 40 dollars is it's really not going to cover it because you need to get some rice maybe some soups uh you know some toothpaste deodorant and in in in, in california prisons when you're in um like one of those maximum prisons like the level they run from a level one which is like a uh, uh, minimum security level two level three level four when you're on those level four sometimes you know things happen where you may be on lockdown for five six months you might be on lockdown for a year if someone happens to get killed or stabbed you know they may have the entire prison locked down so you don't get you don't get packages you're not going to canteen so a lot of people like to stock up on hygiene and and you know soaps deodorants stuff like that because who 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 knows the next time you may make it to the store you know so yeah you definitely have to you know it's the more help that you can have from your family or or working in a job that pays a lot it's it's better you know which which is why a lot of people do illegal things in there sell drugs uh sell weed you know whatever you know everybody in there is trying to hustle and, and make extra money now, it's funny that you actually just said that because I was about to ask, you know, it's like they're putting, you know, more strain on your family. Here it is. Somebody's been incarcerated and you want their family to foot the bill. I got to pay for phone calls. I got to pay for canteen. I got to pay for all of this. And I was going to say, you know, I wonder why that is. But like you just said, most people go ahead and start hustling and doing illegal things in there. So maybe that is why they pay so low so that they can keep people in prison by you know having them do illegal things or you know they know that they don't pay enough so you got to substitute it somewhere you got to get your you got to get it how you live i guess if you will right and i and i can't figure it all out but i definitely believe that you know they have um they they definitely it's, it's definitely a method to their madness they you know they're definitely doing things to try to uh keep you know keep job security going on you know like i said with the with the um how they you know they'll separate races and stuff they they do things to promote situations that keep them working you know that's that's interesting that's crazy to even think about it's very right. calculated right it's definitely it. that's a great word it's definitely calculated what they're doing is is is, is not 
it's not you know on accident you know they, a lot yeah. of stuff like like they know that if if you know if they put certain individuals in 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 this on the same yard when it's is when they're at odds they're gonna fight but they do it anyway you know they they do it anyway and so they they do a lot of stuff i mean because they have been doing time as long as they have been sending people to jail so i mean they know the workings and you know they know what races don't like each other what you know what particular groups don't get along and so they do a lot of things to try to you know promote like i said situations that keep them working keep them you know getting overtime getting hazard pay stuff like that and just playing with people's lives because that could be you know somebody's death they don't care right. so i guess as long as they keeping their jobs right and then touching on canteen the food the snacks how is it that you can live so long you can make it so long off of you know what i mean all these foods all these snacks did that ever affect you um did you put on weight did you you know that's that's a good that's a good question and uh it it I guess it all depends on, you know, because um, a, a lot of the stuff they give us in there is definitely, you know, contains a lot of sodium and, you know, a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of sugar. So, yeah, I, I guess if you don't work out now, me, um, I worked out a lot, but I, especially I played a lot of basketball. That was what I, you know, I used to do all the time. So and then I've always been more of a smaller person. So, um but yeah, you know, if, if you don't work out and, and, and you eat all that junk, you definitely can get, you know, you definitely can get enormous and big. I've seen some extremely <laughs> huge guys up in there and, uh, you know, the, the snacks and all that stuff is still better than 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 the food they, they, they give us. So I guess, you know, a lot of guys might use that, you know, that that way of thinking that that, you know, the snacks taste better. But also in California, every three months we can get what's known as a, as a quarterly package and we could have our when, when i first came to prison we could have our family send us a 30 pound box of, of of you know food from the street so chips you know you we could get tennis shoes you know hygiene toothbrush uh, uh deodorant stuff like that and then later on as people kept trying to inter introduce drugs and stuff in their packages then they they made it to where we had to order from these select vendors and so mm. so, so you still can do that now you know um you know beef jerky all types of food we can get up in there and stuff so that that helps a little bit too you know i mean can you get some squash up in there can you get some tomatoes some onions well you might be able to get you can't you can't get you can't get like just produce but we can get you know we can get chicken in the can um yeah the uh the more healthy food is probably more limited because yeah we can't get vegetables and stuff like that you know apples we can't get a plain apple stuff like that so <laughs> um yeah you're you know you're you're the, the good stuff that you can get is extremely limited you know they we we were allowed to get you know like um a lot of people would order order that type of workout powder that type of stuff you know that's supposed to be okay. healthy a lot of those health products is, you know if, if it if it's in the sealed pouch you know some of that stuff you could get so it just all depends but a lot of it yeah a lot of it is, is still more junk though you know candy uh we could get uh uh, burrito shells. I think they call them wraps now. You can get wraps and just, it just all depended on, on what company, uh, what they had to offer, you know, but a lot of it was, you know, a lot of it was bad, you know. And just with us talking about their calculations and their methods to their madness, I wonder if they're trying to keep people big and slow and keep their reaction time slow and keep them in drama. And I don't know, just 
now I want I'm wanting to know why they do everything that they do now that I'm right. thinking well, about it. I wouldn't put it, you know, like I say, I, I definitely wouldn't put it, I wouldn't put it past them. You know, I've definitely seen, I've definitely seen them do some devious stuff. And if you ever get a chance or anybody's ever interested, be sure to look up um the cage fights, you know, in uh so basically what they was doing was when when people would go to the hole, they already knew that certain groups was not gonna be on the yard together in the hole, the, the exercise yard. So they will release Hispanics out there. They will release groups to the yard that were that were at war with each other. And so they'd search them, you know, two of them, maybe two Hispanics, two blacks. They'd search them, put them on a small little yard. Then once they started fighting, they'd shoot them. They'd uh, shoot them and kill them with a, uh, they had uh, uh, rifles and the guards had rifles in the tower. Sometimes they'd shoot them with the block gun, but other times they'd make excuses and say, oh, this guy wouldn't stop. And so uh, the other guy's life was in danger and they would shoot him and kill him and stuff. And so, yeah, they they do a lot of they do a lot of devious stuff. And then what but but what was happening was the guards was vetting. So they may let me out. And another Hispanic, oh, I bet you Chill can't, Chill can't whoop this guy over here. And the guards were making bets. And so one guard ended up blowing blowing the whistle. And, you know, they end up going to court. And, of course, they all was found not guilty, of course, because uh, they said they were just following um, the, the procedures and protocols of, of the California Department of Corrections. And so, yeah, uh, I'm trying to remember that name on YouTube. Something University. It's it's something. But if you if you type in the Corcoran, Corcoran, uh, uh, corporate cage fights or something all that stuff will pop up but yeah they they also do a lot of you know a lot of devious stuff like that you know i'm definitely gonna look into that um that's crazy it sounds like i don't know if you ever seen orange is the new black on netflix or if you ever I heard read of the it. book when i was incarcerated i've never seen it i have that book i right, need to I read, read it, it. Uh-huh. Okay, I need to get on that. I need to read that book. Well, right. I don't know in the book, like I said, I didn't read it. So I don't know if they have this in there. But um, on the show, they had the guards playing fantasy football with the inmates, or uh-huh. some version of it, where you would pick teams of certain inmates. And the more violent crimes they did, the more points you got. So if your inmate killed somebody or attacked a guard, your points would just shoot up. And you know, the more points you get, oh. the more money you can make. Oh yeah, no that that wasn't that wasn't in the book, but that's interesting right there. Yeah, yeah, that sounds like what you was just describing almost. Right. Uh huh. And so once um you did get out, um just to go ahead and wrap up our interview here, what were your relationships like that you did manage to hold on to while you were um, incarcerated? You know, your mom, did your girlfriend stick around? Your daughter, things like that. Uh, no. Well, you know, when I went to prison, like I said, my girlfriend was probably maybe about 23. And so, you know, um, we ended up getting married and of course we ended up getting divorced. She ended up, you know, moving on, moving forward with her life, which is, which is to be fair, was it was, you know, was expected because, you know, you can't, um, expect anyone to put their life on hold, um, and just, you know, be without, because I I had got uh I had got incarcerated. Of course, I wanted her to stick a, around, but realistically, you know, I, I knew she wasn't gonna stick around forever. And um, and so she she moved on and stuff. Um, me and my daughter, you know, we we had a pretty good relationship. Um, my mom and, and dad they would bring her to visit me. Then you know, once she got to the point where she was old enough to write, she would write some, not a lot, and, well, not as much as I wanted, but you know, she but. But she definitely got to, uh, to visit me a whole lot. Then they had a program called Get on the Bus where this church organization would uh, um, 
they would have these meeting spots where you know your your, your uh, kids could come see you. And then, like I said, they, they would do that once a year. Then my parents made sure that she got up there to see me. So once I came home, you know, our relationship was good. But of course, she also was upset with me because just putting myself in a position to go to prison and not um, be in her life, you know. Um, now, of course, it 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 um I see where it bothered her to you know to uh, maybe go to a friend's house and saw saw her friend interacting with her dad, you know. And so she, these things, of course, caused her, you know, caused her a lot of hurt, possibly some shame, you know, by just not being able to have her own dad, you know, not being able to interact with her dad outside of a a, a prison visiting room. And so, you know, um, our relationship has always been good. She's a beautiful, wonderful daughter. But of course, I understand her, her, um, her resentment, her being upset with me. So, you know, we're trying to move forward and um, I just... Be, you know, being involved in her life now and stuff, seeing her all the time and stuff. So, yeah, our relationship has always been good, but there was some periods where, she, you know, she was upset with me and sometimes it would it would, it would come out in, you know, her conversation with me or in ways she, you know, she uh, responded mm. to me and stuff like that, you know. And just um, as a man, how were you able to handle, you know, the, the, the different things that maybe she would say to you during conversations? Were you... You know, when you first came out, were you even emotionally intelligent enough to be able to kind of take a step back and like, it's not that she's saying this to me, but it's the situation. You know what I mean? Right. And, and, and you know, actually, I believe that I was. And, and, and what was fortunate for me is by being a lifer, um, we had to go through a lot of self-help groups, you know, a, a lot of self-help groups that made us analyze ourselves and, and, and look at ourselves. And for, you know, like I said, once I started seeing um, a lot of people that I was locked up with going home, I started to because initially I, didn't, I, I thought self-help was for the birds. You know, I thought, like, what can these people tell me about myself? But as I went in there and, and, and started, you know, looking into the material, um, some of the things that I that I, I could apply to myself, you know, I would apply. Everything didn't fit me, but some of the stuff did. And so it just, self-help is basically just giving ourselves different ways to deal with certain situations, you know, and and to think about things that we possibly hadn't had thought about before. So, um, and that's the difference, I think, between a lot of the lifers and, a, and an individual who, who, who doesn't have to, because in California, only a lifer has to see the parole board. If, if you're sentenced to 10 years, you're going to automatically get out when your time is due. You don't have to do anything. You don't have to take no self-help classes, you know. And that's why some individuals sometimes go in there and come out worse than what they mm. did when they went in there because they're, you know, they're hanging with these criminals. You know, they call they call prison a college for street knowledge, you know. And so now there a lot of dudes are going in there trying to figure out ways to be better criminals. Mm. And so by, by me being a lifer, you know, going in front of the parole board once they revamped it you know the parole board wants to know okay well you're already in here for for being violent what can you tell us about yourself you know to um to make us let you out so you know they want to know who you were then who you were then and who who are you now and so like i said a lot of these um self-help classes help me to be self uh introspective and so i yeah i definitely could understand you know my daughter's resentment and, and upset so that that did help me to understand that she had a right to be you know to be angry and to be upset because basically i stole from her in terms of you know because i grew up with a father so i definitely understood because wow. you know my father made sure i had you know my father is from a small town in in um 
in uh Virginia, Blackstone, Virginia. You know, he, you know, but he made sure I had all, you know, all the stuff that I needed, motorcycles, bikes, all type of stuff. So by me not being able to provide those things from her, I feel that I robbed her of the experience that I had. So I definitely understood, you know. And so uh, yeah, all her, you know, her her being upset, I, I definitely understood that and, and I definitely felt that it was um it was uh it was justified, you know. Oh wow, that's a great perspective for you to have. I know a lot of people who it's hard for them to kind of fill in the blank space if their you know kid don't know what to say and they don't know what to say nobody just ever says anything and they just right. sometimes just let those relationships go which is not healthy not cool mm-hmm. at all and so um like i said that was the last question so just tell us you know what you're up to now where can we find you how can we stay in touch with chill well you guys can check me out most definitely on youtube uh, 16 to life. I believe it's, it's up right here. One six D A L I F E 16 to life. Um, um, you can also go to, uh, like I say, I rap. So I got a, uh, I got a song called never gave me therapy. It's on all major streaming sites. Um, then you also can go to my YouTube playlist and scroll down to gas stations and you'll find a lot of my music there. I'm going to be coming out with some, some more music shortly. So, uh, you like didn't I tell said, him that the flow is not like Curtis Blow. Oh, yeah, the flow is nothing like <laughs> Curtis Blow, man. Don't get it twisted. And I say that a lot of people think I'm disrespecting Curtis Blow, and that's not that's not what I'm doing at all. If you happen to uh, go on my YouTube page, you see that I'm a lightweight comedian. I actually try to tone it down. I'm really extremely funny in person. I just don't <laughs> want to be over, you know. I didn't want to go in there too funny, but I'm really – I was always the class clown. And so what I'm telling people is don't get it twisted, man. A lot of people think that, okay, you know, people start doing the math. Oh, you're 24 years old? Okay, you at least had to be 18 when you went to jail, so you at least got to be in your 40s rapping and all this old type of stuff. So I'm actually 51. I just turned 51 a few days ago. But I'm oh, telling yeah, people, Leo gang. Shout out to right, you. All the Shout time. You us. already know. So I'm telling people, don't get it twisted because I'm older, man. You know, uh, I rap with the best of them. You know, don't think that I'm going to have this old flow sounding outdated. My music is actually really good. You know, the whole time I was in jail, every prison I hit, I was winning all the rap contests. And, uh, you know, I, I was extremely blessed when it comes to, you know, on the lyrical side. So check my music out. You'll be surprised. I do not sound old. I don't sound outdated. You definitely, if you love hip hop, then you're going to rock with me. And, uh yeah, that's pretty much it. You know, I'm on I'm on Instagram too at 16 to life, but it's all one word. But uh, I don't really I'm a horrible Instagram person. I don't I don't post. I don't do all that type of stuff. You know, so I, I need to I keep telling myself I'm going to do more of that. But, you know, it just some of this technology is just not it's not. Uh, I'm not I'm not I'm not it's not I'm not. I'm not cut out for it, I guess. You know, I'm just not, you know, I didn't, I didn't grow up posting every day and all that type of stuff. So. I know. Is that weird? Is that yeah, weird to so you? Just, you know, sometimes people be like, "Send me a picture, man. I don't have selfies in my phone. <laughs> I don't do all that stuff." But in order to try to make myself more visible, I understand that some of these things are a necessity. You know, um, I have a TikTok. My homie created the TikTok for me. I don't even have the password or nothing to it. You know, so I gotta. Uh, I got to try to get with it because, you know, like I said, I started doing YouTube just on a um, spur of the moment type thing. But now I see that it's a business, you know, it pays. And so the, if if I want to, you know, and I love being able to sit in my car and tell a story and, you know, get paid and doing that stuff. So in order to, you know, um, be more visible, 
I have to do certain things, you know, so I have to get up with the, uh, you know, with the, with the social media type stuff. So. And I'm definitely glad that there is a platform out there because, you know, they try to take everything from somebody who's been in prison. You barely can get a job. You can't get your own apartment, but these platforms have really given, you know what I mean? Basically, a, a, it's a whole new job market. And I'm glad that a lot of y'all have found this. Right. These platforms and, wanna, and things like I that. I want to say this real quick, Tiffany, too, for, for the people that's, you know, that's coming home from prison or anybody, you would be amazed and astounded to the type of things that people are interested in in YouTube. So on YouTube. So give it a shot, no matter what you like to do. If you like to rap, you like to cook, you like to plant flowers, you know, it's always people out there who have the same interests as you. So go go on YouTube, you know, create your stories, put your content out there, stay consistent, and you would be surprised who, who you know, who's going to, who's going to, um, you know, start watching you, become in, interested in you. You look up, you'll be getting a nice little check from YouTube. It's, you know, don't, don't uh, count yourself out, man, because, you know, people are interested in a little bit of everything. That's definitely, definitely the case. And so I want to thank you so much for giving your time today. Thank you for coming on the channel. Mm -hmm. I'm so glad thank I got you, to Amy. interview you. And so that'll basically wrap up our interview here today. If there's anything else I left out or anything you want to touch on real quick. Uh, not, not that I can, uh, not that I can think of, like I say, my, uh, my Instagram is a uh, 16 to life. So, you know, you can, Hit me up, DM me on there or whatever, and uh, I'll definitely respond. And if you're interested in a feature or something like that, collabing on some music, tap in with me. Okay. Thank you so much, Chill. I definitely appreciate it. Well, you you're can go welcome. ahead and enjoy the rest of your day. I don't even – is it still morning over there in California? Uh, Yeah, I think it's like – oh, you know what? Yeah, I think it's 11 o'clock or something like that. Okay. So Got a little bit of the day. Well, yeah, I'm going to go ahead and call it an interview. And thank you again. I greatly appreciate it. And thank you very much for having me. All right. Thank you and so I, much. And for I wish you much success on, on your uh, your YouTube channel. Thank you. With us and our three viewers right now, we going strong. Right. Well, you, it'll, <laughs> it'll, it'll, it'll eventually grow. Just stay with it. Thank you. I appreciate that. All right. You have a good day. And I'm going to post you in my community, too. So hopefully some people are... When you, you know, we finish, you send me the link and hopefully, you know, people to tap in and, and check this out. Hopefully, I definitely do so. All right. Definitely. You have a good day. See you, Chill. Thank you so All much. Right. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. All right, y'all. And that is going to be our third episode. Um, If you can see here at the bottom, all of Chill's information, please, please, please. Go and follow him. Definitely check out his YouTube. He has tons of funny stories, even stories that don't involve prison. Um, I should have brought that up. Um, but yeah, definitely go check him out. He has a wonderful platform. And thank you again for being here. Thank you for watching. And that's it. <laughs> See you guys.